A man was dead in a Michigan junkyard. And there were no clues or forensic evidence at the scene. But computer forensic experts found evidence of a crime that had everything. Sex, lies, and a videotape. On November 8, 1999, Chuck Miller got a frantic call from his sister-in-law. His brother, Bruce, was missing. Bruce hadn't come home for dinner, and he wasn't answering his telephone at work. Chuck drove out to his brother's junkyard to look for him. The door was shut. I opened the door and walked in and hollered his name. He wouldn't answer. And we walked around the corner of the desk, and he was laying on the floor. Bruce Miller was dead of a gunshot wound to his chest telephone receiver was near his head. Bruce normally kept around $2,000 in his front shirt pocket to make change for his customers. That money was missing. The motive appeared to be robbery. $2,000 cash in the pocket would look good to a lot of people in the area. We just thought it was just a random. Someone just walked in and shot him because he always kept money in his front pocket and took that money. It just appeared to be another robbery, another Dan Flint. Criminalists from the Michigan Crime Lab used one-sided tape to collect possible evidence from Bruce's shirt. The tape lift that I took from this particular victim only had his, his own head hair on it. There was nothing foreign that was determined on the tape lift. And there were other signs that this crime scene was a little too clean. We're talking about a business that hadn't been cleaned and probably since it opened. We're talking grease, oil, everything that leaves a good latent print, a good boot impression. So he knew what to touch, what not to touch, and might have even taken other protective measures in order for him not to be found. It was also troubling that Bruce was on the phone when killed. But to whom was he speaking? No one's called and said, I was on the phone with Bruce Miller, and I heard a gunshot. There's no latent prints that were, no bloody prints, no money fallen where they were in a hurry to get it out. Why the pocket wasn't ripped when they're taking the money out. Bruce Miller was 48 years old. Six months earlier, he married 28-year-old Cherie, and he was about to adopt her three children. By all accounts, seemed to be a very hard-working, kind of mellow guy who, you know, took a chance with marrying Sherry Miller and her kids and taking on that load as well as having two jobs, working at General Motors as well as running a junkyard. According to friends and family, it was a happy marriage. She would talk to them in length about Bruce Miller, how he was the best thing that ever happened to her, how he was a good lover, how her kids endeared him. This was an older gentleman that caught the young woman, and he treated her like a princess. Cherie had been at home all day with her children and several friends and wasn't considered a suspect. But she had a pretty good idea of who might be responsible. She told detectives that one of her former boyfriends, John Hutchinson, owed her husband several thousand dollars. Bruce had had run-ins with John in the past, arguing over him stealing auto parts from the business late at night, and they argued just recently over 
a sale of a $20 tire to John Hutchinson's stepson. Hutchinson claimed he was at home alone at the time of the murder. It was an alibi that couldn't be corroborated. It would take a second death before detectives would get to the truth. John Hutchinson emerged as the key suspect in junkyard owner Bruce Miller's murder. Hutchinson agreed to take a lie detector test. He collapsed during the examination. John Hutchinson, he had some kind of episode where he ended up going to the hospital, but apparently he was pretty stressed out by this polygraph, which he did not pass. But police needed more evidence than a polygraph. The autopsy revealed Bruce had been killed with a 20-gauge shotgun. In a search of Hutchinson's home, police didn't find a 20-gauge shotgun, bloody clothing, or the missing money. The feeling was he had probably done it. Uh, we've exhausted all of our leads. This is our best prime suspect. What aren't we doing? What can we do differently to make it work so we can get the truth? Weeks went by, then months. There had been no new leads in the case. But something unusual happened 700 miles away in Kansas City, Missouri. A former homicide investigator named Jerry Cassidy was found dead in his home, his gun still in his hand. There was a Bible in his lap, divorce papers were on his desk, and a report showing he had recently been treated for depression. In a trash can outside the home, police found a videotape marked for Jerry's eyes only. It appeared to be a home video of a woman dancing seductively. Definitely a seductive tool, something you would send a guy uh, that you're trying to seduce. Friends told police they thought the woman on the tape was Jerry's girlfriend who lived in Flint, Michigan, and that her name was Cherie. When investigators called police in Flint, they knew just who they were talking about. It was like getting hit upside the head with a sudden shock. It's like, you know, I can't believe it. She duped me. Cherie Miller was brought into police headquarters for questioning. She claimed that she did not even know Jerry Cassidy. This is an audio recording of the actual interrogation. Did you ever send naked pictures of yourself to Jerry? No! Did you ever send Jerry films of you naked? Films of me naked? No, I didn't. You never sent those to Jerry? No, I did not. When we showed her that we had this videotape of her for Jerry Cassidy, written right on the tape for Jerry's eyes only, she went from not knowing Jerry Cassidy to turn around, I know him, but he's crazy. Isn't it true that you were having a physical relationship with Jerry? Maybe on mine. No, I'm talking in no. person. No. In person. No. Cherie said she met Jerry Cassidy in a computer chat room. Just messing around. I mean, I mess around online all the time just to figure out something new to do. I mean, everybody does it. Computer forensic experts confiscated Cherie's computer as well as Jerry Cassidy's. And what they discovered inside answered some important questions, but 
raised many others. This is one of the most bizarre cases I've handled in the 10 years I've been dealing with this subject matter. There was deception. There was a love triangle. Uh, whenever there's an internet connectivity issue that relates to a murder case, of course it's going to be sexy. Things were starting to get interesting. sent Cherie Miller's computer and the one used by her suspected lover, Jerry Cassidy, to an expert in the new field of computer forensics. I get the stuff that's been deleted. I get the space that's unused by the computer. I get everything. And that's what I examine as a computer uh, forensic specialist. Forensic computer specialists can also gain access to password-protected accounts on a hard drive. Investigators easily made their way into Jerry's and Cherie's private files. I believe we had like three, four hundred bookmarks, fragments that I had found that were relevant. There were probably thousands of hits on her name on the just the Cherie 1013. Investigators found incriminating evidence on Jerry's computer and in his private papers. It was an instant message conversation in which Jerry and Cherie discussed murder. I'll call Bruce at 5 p.m. and tell him to call when he's leaving. Jerry, I'm scared. Is the gun loud? It's deer hunting season here. Inside would be best. Muffled. Pull up to the left of the building, right to the door. He'll stay at the desk inside. Take his wallet. Take the whole thing. There was discussion about pull the car up, I believe it was to the right side of the door of the office, to the auto parts place, because then when you open up the driver's side door of the car, it would help hide a gun in your hand as you stepped out and went towards the front door of the business. Police confronted Cherie with this computer message. I'm telling you here, I have an email that lays it out right here in front of me about how you and Jerry Cassidy planned his murder. That's right. Okay, why would Jerry even think about changing that? I don't know. It doesn't make sense, does it? I don't have a clue. Maybe because he was mad because I wouldn't have nothing to do with him. Cherie said the instant messages were forged. Officials at AOL confirmed that this was a possibility. It possibly could have been edited, but I couldn't say, in fact, it was authentic and did come through the America Online service in its exact form. It was very important for us to forensically back up this instant message and show that there was a relationship and and show um, how she got Jerry Cassidy to kill her husband. Under court order, AOL released information regarding Cassidy's and Cherie's computer activity. AOL verified that Jerry and Cherie were both signed onto the AOL service on the same day, at the same time, and for the same length of time as the instant message indicated. Cherie also took steps to cover her tracks. A day and a half after the killing of her husband, she calls America Online to change her first and last name, to change her street address, city, state, and zip code. After she learned of the suicide of Jerry Cassidy, she did the same thing. And Jerry's home computer showed hundreds of emails from the screen name Cherie1013 that had been deleted. The data is still there until such time as the computer 
needs to write something new, and the computer says, oh, that spot's open, I'll write it there now. Among a stack of papers on Cherie's computer desk, investigators found the name John O'Connor, which was misspelled, and a telephone number in Cherie's handwriting. In the instant message which Cherie claimed was a fabrication, Jerry wrote, If anything happens to me, call him, John O'Connor, with the same misspelling and his telephone number, which was also incorrect. Certainly corroborates the fact that they had been communicating in that instant message. It was one in two quintillion chances that that alone could have happened by coincidence. That's 19 zeros after the two. The forensic computer analysis also revealed the motive for the murder. In a moment, how Cherie Miller managed to fool a seasoned homicide investigator. Forensic computer experts found proof that Cherie Miller and Jerry Cassidy conspired to kill Cherie's husband, Bruce. It was like reading a diary of the relationship. It showed her saying things to this guy to really kind of bring his blood to a, both a sexual and emotional boil, to really bring him into her and her world as she was showing it to him. Only a month after Cherie's marriage to Bruce Miller, she met Jerry Cassidy in an America Online chat room. The two struck up a friendship. Jerry was going through a divorce. Cherie said she was unhappy, too. Eventually, they met face-to-face -face and became lovers. When the two were apart, Cherie kept the spark in their relationship by sending Jerry erotic pictures of herself through email. She also recorded the videotape, later found by investigators in Jerry's trash. At one point, Cherie told Jerry she was pregnant with twins and that Jerry was the father, although she had had her tubes tied years earlier. Cherie emailed a picture of a positive pregnancy test she had taken from a friend and sonograms of a fetus which were actually taken five years earlier of her son. Cherie claimed her husband, Bruce, was a member of organized crime, a drug dealer, and was physically abusive towards her. There was no evidence that any of this was true. She claimed Bruce had beaten her so badly that she miscarried Jerry's unborn twins. Cherie emailed Jerry pictures of her bruised and battered body, a feat she accomplished with makeup. This was a situation where a woman very plottingly and purposefully created an artificial universe to cause this guy to believe that he would do, be doing the quote-unquote right thing to come and murder Bruce Miller. He couldn't see what the truth was anymore and what was a lie. He was going to be the white knight for Cherie Miller. He was going to kill the dragon and claim his property. In an instant message... Jerry and Cherie made plans for the murder. Cherie said she would keep her husband on the phone while Jerry went in to kill him. Telephone records confirmed 
This is precisely what happened. Jerry's experience as a homicide detective meant he could commit the crime while leaving no forensic evidence behind. Just a few weeks after Bruce's murder, Cherie double-crossed Jerry. She stopped answering his calls and emails, and she found another boyfriend. I think he was grief-stricken. What have I done? What has she led me to do? And for what? She didn't give a darn about me. Among Jerry's personal papers was a suicide note addressed to his parents. It was painfully obvious Jerry still believed most of Cherie's lies. He beat the crap out of her and killed my baby. I'm sorry, Mom. These were my babies. I loved them. I wanted them. I drove there and killed him. But Jerry finally realized he had been used. I was so blind and so stupid and so much in love. Little did I know she never meant any of it. She just wanted all her money and no more husband. Cherie was involved and helped set it up. I have all the proof. She'll get what's coming. There was no doubt, you know, Jerry said he did it. Jerry did it. You know, there was no making it up. You know, Jerry, you know, it wasn't that type of individual that he'd pull somebody's leg like that, especially in a situation like this. He, he wasn't going to shoot himself and then leave this for somebody if, if it wasn't true. In December 2000, Cherie went on trial for murder and conspiracy. The forensic computer analysis was the state's primary evidence. Did you kill your husband, Bruce Miller? No, I did not. Did you help anybody kill your husband? No, I did not. Did you love your husband? Yes, I did. Cherie continued to maintain the instant messages were a forgery. She claimed Jerry was the spurned lover and did this in an attempt to frame her. So are you saying this entire instant message is fake? Yes, I am. So when they talk about the discs and the pictures on your back and legs and whatnot and the bruises, it has, you never had that conversation? No, I did not. But the forensic computer analysis proved otherwise and provided a possible motive for the murder. Money from Bruce's life insurance policies and the sale of his junkyard business. I told my wife that uh, I think Cherie's grinning from ear to ear thinking the money she's going to get from this right here. That was my thought the night he got killed. Because she was that kind of person, just a money-hungry person. Uh, right after the uh, homicide, she redid the house. Uh, she spent a lot of money. Uh, even um, Bruce's mother bought her a car with some of the money that was left to her. Prosecutors do not believe John Hutchinson had anything to do with Bruce Miller's murder. In December of 2000, Jeree Miller was found guilty of second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. For investigators, the verdict was a triumph of high-tech detective work and old-fashioned gumshoe investigation. If we had been unable to find hard evidence to back up the printouts, the emails, the instant messages, 
we would not have had a case. By doing the computer forensics, we showed that uh, manipulation of Jerry Cassidy and what brought him to killing Bruce Miller and then taking his own life. She thought she had beaten the system. She thought she planned the perfect murder. She thought that those, those things that she typed in would never, ever come back to haunt her. But she was wrong.